Coming to you in the Kintec studio. It is Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler. A proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed the first hour of the program, Frank Saravalli joined us. Trade targets list. He's got Bo Horvat at number one. We also talked about what that the rest of the class looks like. Pending unrestricted free agents, Dylan Larkin and Ryan O'Reilly would also be in the class of big centers that could be available come deadline time. Also discussed yet another blown lead by the Canucks and what we are learning as they continue to fall because of the same mistakes. Uh, All right, Sat. So wanted to do a couple of things here. And uh, we're going to test out super stat or meaningless number. We'll throw down some stats and then uh, decide whether or not they are super stats and actually mean something or meaningless numbers and mean absolutely nothing. So we'll get to that a little bit later on this segment. But a lot has been talked about deployment with this roster right now. Do you feel Bruce Boudreaux is getting the most out of this roster that he could? No, is a short answer. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, and I mentioned this take on the post game show. And I think there's always, and I don't want to use the same phrase I always use, but just because we are critical of a job somebody is doing this year or how they're performing this year doesn't mean they deserve to be fired or they should be traded or you should give up on them. Right? You can have multiple things be true at the same time about what is going on with this team. So I think when I look at Bruce Boudreaux, I don't think he's put this team in in the best position to win so far this season. But I don't think him doing so has been a fireable offense. So I think I want to just make that clear and get that out of the way Uh, when we start this. Because I don't want it to come off as Bruce is doing such a horrible job. He deserves to get fired. Because I don't think that's the case. But I think an objective look at... The job Bruce has done, I think, is one that paints the picture of he probably could do better than what he's done so far. We can question some of the way the deployments are used and also understand that ultimately, you know, a new coach may have a lot of the same issues with this roster that that Bruce does. Right. So, you know, that's where Sat's favorite saying comes into play here. Two things can be true at the same time. And I guess the big one that's coming out of last night is, I mean, by the numbers, Patterson is the best defensive forward, the best defensive center on this team. Mm -hmm. Why is he not being used to play against other top competition as much as, say, Horvat and Miller, who have had their own struggles defensively this year. Well, and I think that's where it gets dicey for me, right? So when I look at it and I'm like, okay, how do you justify not going to, to Elias Pedersen, regardless of your reasons, when what you're doing is clearly not working by throwing JT and Bo out there in all those situations? Or I should say it's not working to the degree it should, given their level of production. And with that being the case, um, I still don't find any any of the reasons Boudreaux gives for not throwing Pedersen out there more to be convincing enough. Because if they were at least holding their own or doing okay, or the team was benefiting and winning, I'd say, okay, fine. You know what? Like You're getting results. Who am I to disagree with it? But you're not getting those results. And if anything, look at some of the goals last night. 
And that JT line was not great. You know what I mean? Like like I mentioned, you can point to a, 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 a spot where Bo couldn't box out Carrier. J, JT couldn't box out Carrier. And you look at Brock Bester, who found himself on that line, and him kind of waving at... Um, Alex Petrangelo when he scored. So when I look at those guys and I, and I look at how they're acquitting themselves when the Canucks have a lead, then why not throw Pedersen out there more against players in that situation? So Boudreau was asked about this today, and uh, here's what he had to say about the deployment of Elias Pedersen and whether or not he could be used in more defensive spots against tougher competition. If you use him more in the defensive zone, I mean, one of his greatest assets is his offensive capabilities. But, I mean, uh, the other part is he's still he can improve on face-offs, and we don't want him just to be a defensive stalwart. He, he's been doing great on uh, in his own zone, but, like, I mean, uh, you know, we use Bo, who's our best centerman, uh, at face-offs in our own zone. So, I mean, I just uh, I think that makes more sense. But, I mean... PD's done everything we've asked of asked of him and more. I mean, uh, uh, defending and um, offensively, he's not too many like him, I think. So uh, there is Bruce, and essentially, um, the way I read that is, it, you know, he he looks at Pedersen as as an offensive player that uh, isn't necessarily. Um, the best defensive center on this team. He still views Bo as that guy, despite uh, the numbers suggesting otherwise. And the main reasoning is simply the face-offs sat. And I I think this is where you get the, you know, are face-offs overvalued in the NHL? Because, you know... Who's the worst team in the league at winning faceoffs so far this year? It's Colorado Avalanche. I think they're doing okay. Uh, Pedersen isn't a great faceoff man. Guess who controls play better than any other player on this Canucks roster? Elias Pedersen. So yeah. losing the faceoff hasn't really mattered necessarily for him. I, I think this is one of those old school thinkings that still persists in the game. Certain faceoffs are definitely important. Is every faceoff deathly important? No, it is not. So that that's that's where I would you know uh, poke at that logic from Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, the the thing I can I can understand is not wanting Kuzmenko out there in those toughs as often because. He's the guy that's still really learning that aspect, and he gets lost a lot. And we mentioned that in the first segment uh, on the Riley Smith goal, he kind of gets caught just waiting for Quinn Hughes to make a play and win a battle and get him to puck along the boards instead of covering space and and taking the man going to the net. And Riley Smith just has a clear path and just jams it in on Thatcher Demko. So I can see that and how the coach is reluctant to throw him out there, but. Maybe if you're not getting the results, you kind of have to go away from Pedersen and Kuzmenko being together all the time then if you're not going to be able to be good enough defensively. And, like, I get it. Like, Bo is better at winning faceoffs, and so is JT, despite the fact this year he's under 50%, when generally he's been well above 50% as a Canuck in the faceoff dot. Like, he had been one of the better players in the league the last couple of years, and it hasn't been at the same level this season. But, like, I see Pedersen's defensive... Um, habits in his own zone to be far better than any of those players. Like, I'd far more trust Pedersen after a lost faceoff than I would any of those other guys. Yeah, and and uh, I mean we've seen that. You know the amount of 
you know, Bo is winning a ton of faceoffs on the penalty kill, and uh, even those that he's won sometimes have ended up in the back of the net uh, against the Canucks. Uh, he lost that one faceoff last night, uh, and uh, in mere moments, it's in the back of the net uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, their first goal of of the evening. So, you know, faceoffs aren't the be all and end all, and you can still manage if you've lost the faceoff. I think ultimately that is the point there. But, okay, if you want to keep Pedersen and Kuzmenko together and therefore you are not going to play them in the absolute toughest minutes, at least not against tough competition if you can avoid it, sure, fine, okay, use them and try to get them in matchups against other teams' bottom lines and really try to, to force the issue and get some offense going that way. It has worked for the Canucks to do that this year with the Pedersen and Kuzmenko line, and it worked for that line last night as well. Then why not move Mikhaev off that line because he is your best two-way winger and put him with Horvat and Miller in order to help their cause when going up against the toughest competition of the opposition? Yeah, so I mean, so I don't necessarily disagree with that because um, I think you're right. I mean, you add somebody else who's good defensively, and, and it would help out, and obviously it would help out. However, the Canucks' biggest issue is kind of the center play. I find defensively for them, and JT gets accused a lot of just kind of standing around, and he does. I mean, credit to him. Sometimes he is in the right spot, but he doesn't really affect the game despite being in the right spot, and sometimes it's about taking stuff away. I get it, but he's not a player who's active with his stick oftentimes, right? You won't see him read the right plays, and he just kind of stands around. And yes, he's occupying the space he's supposed to, but what are you doing to impact the game defensively when you have a chance, right? And that's something that doesn't really happen often enough. And we talked about Bo, too, and, you know, as much as he's been great offensively, defensively, there are some issues. So I'm not sure it really changes things too much. It helps out, but it just comes down, it comes back down to how you're playing down the middle, I think, more than anything. And that's why. As good as Pedersen is, he doesn't get relied upon enough in those spots, and he's your best defensive option, I find, at that. So if you're never going to use Pedersen in that regard, you still, you're still short a center or two, or at least one center who's capable of doing those things in a matchup role, in a top six role. So even if you wanted to bring back Bo Horvat and keep JT Miller and have Elias Pedersen here long term, you're still short a center that can do those, some of those things to take the responsibility responsibilities away from a guy like Horvat or Miller. Uh, there was one uh, lineup change today uh, as the Canucks practiced. Uh, Curtis Lazar was moved to center, played with Garland and Besser. Uh, so we saw him move off of the uh, wing of Oman and Joshua. Sheldon Dries moved out as an extra. Nils Hoaglander back in and was playing alongside Miller and Horvat. Uh, so that uh, could look like an interesting line against the Colorado Avalanche tomorrow night. Um, the usage of Hoaglander has been uh, somewhat puzzling at times this year too, Sad, It's like he's on the first line for one game and then he doesn't do much, so he gets dropped to the third or the fourth line. And if he doesn't do anything there or misses a defensive assignment or just because Bruce Boudreaux wants to make a change in the lineup, he ends up in the press box. It's And it's just like rinse, repeat, once a week, this is what's happening. 
Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it, it, it's the persistence of the same thing happening over and over again, right? Yeah. And like, how do you how do you overcome some of those things? And that's what what gets me more than anything. It's like find a solution. Yeah, and why try? Why do the same thing over and over again and expect different results? You know, yeah. and and that's what it comes down to. And I understand what happens for every NHL coach because we've seen it now here, right? Travis, we said the same things about him before. Ultimately, the changes were made. Why is he not trying enough different things? Like, why does he keep going back to the same thing? Because when you're not trusting enough guys and you're in a position where you're really coaching for any win possible and for your life. That this is how you kind of revert to. There's certain guys you trust and you have uh, relationships with and you really believe in, and it's clear that his relationship with guys like Bo and JT is strong, and even with PD off, of course, and guys like Brock Besser, and those are the guys that he's leaning on more than anything. And I think he may feel like if he goes away from JT or Bo a little bit or doesn't show the same faith in him, that if he loses those guys, then essentially the jig is up. It's over. You know, like where do you go from that point on? And I think that's the desperation side of things when it gets to this stage. Uh, this text, Bo is good defensively. He has the tough matchups. But if Bo was in Pedersen's position, I believe their numbers would be close to opposite, though maybe a bit better for Pedersen. That's uh, that's a thought coming in from Beef Stroganoff on the uh, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Well, the thing to keep in mind, though, is it's not like Elias Pedersen only gets favorable matchups and only gets soft competition. You actually look at his uh, quality of competition. He does get tough competition, and when he does have the tough competition, he excels. I mean, the numbers don't lie. You know what I mean? This is not yep. just you know saying stuff like, oh, you know, uh, just put him there, and eventually he'll be good. Like When I watch Pedersen, I talk about his habits. He has incredible habits. He takes great lanes defensively. He knows how to cover space. He gets in the way of shooting and passing lanes very well with the stick in his body position doesn't need to block shots but he gets in the way of availability and that's a real big part of it you see how he skates through the neutral zone how he takes away angles defensively he's in the right position his stick is very active look at uh the way he got in front of uh, a couple of shots last night look at the block shot of course in the empty net but look at the uh at the play that he had tying up uh the stick and breaking of his own stick taking away the second chance as well i mean those are great reads and great anticipation and you look at the pk his pk numbers are good because he's been one of the better pkers great anticipation gets in front of uh knocks pucks down all the time, understands what the opposition is doing. I mean, it's not just making stuff up and saying, oh, just play Pedersen in a defensive role and he'll be better. Like right now, his habits are clearly better than Bo Horvats. They're clearly better than JT Miller's. Like that's just a fact when you watch these guys play. And yes, maybe maybe Pedersen isn't going to be Datsuk when playing those tough to, to the same degree, but I can promise you he's not going to get crushed the same way those guys are getting crushed. Because in other instances, throughout his career so far, when he's played tough matchups, he hasn't gotten crushed. So, I mean, the numbers don't lie, and that's why we're saying, especially when this team is struggling as much as they are, why not lean on the guy who's more effective in that role? Well, that uh, series against Vegas a couple of years ago um, in, in the playoff bubble in Edmonton, I mean, Pedersen was pretty good. He was easily the Canucks' best forward in that series and was the one, maybe the only one, that was really causing a lot of fits for Vegas outside of the obvious in Thatcher Demko. So, I mean, it's been this way for a long time, you know, and I, I just think because Pedersen uh, isn't your best face-off guy or is uh, just above 40% doesn't mean he can't take more defensive zone face-offs. Uh, that shouldn't necessarily be the way things always have to compute. Uh, all right. I wanted to do this before we, um, before we move on into the next segment. But 
It's super stat or meaningless number. And it's pretty simple. We give a number, and then there's a debate. Is this a real stat? Does it mean something? Or is it one of those stats that's like, oh, okay, that's cool, but it doesn't really mean anything? Right. You know? <laughs> like uh, 12 years ago, the Vancouver Canucks won three straight games against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, well, like, great for the team 12 years ago. That doesn't mean anything for today. Uh, How's that helping me today? <laughs> yes. Uh, so super stat or meaningless number. Uh, I, I got a couple here that I wanted to All get right. to, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. Um, so speaking of deployment... Kyle Burrows not playing the left side on D because he's right-handed. Why does this thing persist? Well, actually, when Kyle Burrows has played with Tyler Myers this year, Sat, they've got an expected goals for percentage of 59.1. It's a small sample, sure, 26 minutes together at 5-on-5, but the numbers suggest they haven't been all that bad. And the raw results were zero goals for, zero against. Super stat or meaningless number. Burroughs and Myers together, expected goals for of 59%. Uh, I mean, I'd love to say super stat. The, the sample is too small, Dan. Ah. So I have to lean towards meaningless stat. But, but. The number is good enough, and considering how much this team has struggled defensively, that you should be trying it out. You should be seeing if that is something that can work and be effective, because not a lot of pairings have been effective. So yes, I think the stat in and of itself might be meaningless, but I think there is value in exploring that deep pairing. But let's see it more than Riley Stillman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. 100%. I mean, you have to see it more than Riley Steelman. Well, even last night, like, especially with the, uh, you know, that, that recent victory that the Canucks had and, and Kyle Burrows was on the ice for, I think, uh, most of the last couple of minutes of the game when he was when he was back in uh, a couple of games ago. It, it's just, it, it doesn't, doesn't make a ton of sense that he's out of the lineup and still taking every warm-up, but... Uh, uh, as Bruce Boudreau put it, he's the he's the seventh defenseman, and until they open up a spot on the right side, and Bruce Boudreau is the coach, I don't think he's going to be getting more op- too many more opportunities on the left side ahead of Riley Stillman for the time being. Uh, I think you've got one on Ilya Mikhaev. Yeah, all right, so I got something here on Ilya Mikhaev. So when Ilya Mikhaev was signed, there was a lot of talk about how he was coming off just a you know a, a hot year. He got uh, he was he scored 21 goals in 53 games, and he's a guy that has poor finishing and all this sort of stuff and everything. But he had 32 points in 53 games. He has 10 points in 16 games, and that's not the super stat: four goals, six assists. I mean, they're very respectable numbers considering how good he's been defensively. But Maybe Ilya Mikheyev is actually decent offensively because this year he's over two points per 60, which is close to what he was at last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So is Ilya, is that a super stat or a meaningless stat? Ilya Mikheyev is a, above two points per game per 60, and he is more than a dependable top six forward. Uh, I, um, I'm tempted to say... Super stat, but I'm going to say meaningless number. I believe Ilya Mikhaev and his offense right now is more a product of Elias Pettersson than it has been Ilya Mikhaev uh, being better offensively than what we've seen in the past. 
uh, he's he's been good, uh, and I, I think he's kind of just been the same player that he's always been. But getting to play an extended amount of time right now with Elias Pettersson, with how he's playing, I think that's what's boosting his numbers. It's also what's helped uh, Andre Kuzmenko onto uh, eight goals so far in his rookie season. So uh, I will say meaningless number on Ilya Mikheyev. Tough crowd on Ilya Mikheyev. I'm not sure what else Ilya Mikheyev has to do to get to get more consideration and respect in this market. Like you can make the case, like he's been their best defensive forward outside of Elias Pettersson, and his playmaking has actually been nothing better than people give him credit for. And you look at his goal scoring; it's actually up per sixty to where it was last season. Even though it is four goals in sixteen games, at least at five on five. So, I don't know. I, I think Ilya Mikheyev in this market isn't getting enough talk for how good a player he is. And I think he's more than what people thought in terms of just being a good third liner and all that sort of stuff. He's a guy who makes an impact. And if, if this team was having more success so far this season, we'd be talking about how they added a player with the right types of habits and is the type of player that you win with. Uh, he's looking faster and faster every game, I will say that. One thing about his deployment, and it goes into the penalty kill, why is he not the first guy over the boards anytime the Canucks are killing a penalty? Or at least, you know, one of the first guy over the boards. Uh, I, I know they always want Horvat out there for the, the face-off. I, I sort of get that. But generally, Mikheyev is not the first winger over the boards anytime the Canucks are killing a penalty. And he is by far their best forward penalty killer on the roster. And I think the numbers bear that out, too, from how he's played so far this season. Just a thought on uh, on Mikheyev. Though I'm still I'm still suspect on his offense, Sat. All right? That's it. That's it. I, it's, not like, it's not that I don't like the player. I'm just still need more convincing. I mean, all he did was score 21 goals last year and is <laughs> off to a good start. I mean, in his last 69 games, he has 42 points and 25 goals. That's I mean, that's all he's done. That's all he's done. Nice. Um... All right, I've got another one here, and it, it also pertains to the penalty kill. Very small sample size, but uh, Quinn Hughes, high danger scoring chances against per 60 at four versus five, so when the Canucks are on the penalty kill, uh, is 45.3, and that is the third worst number in the NHL for any player who's played on the penalty kill for at least a minimum of 15 minutes so far this season. So Quinn is uh, in between 15 and 20 minutes on the penalty kill this year. And I'll just say no Canuck is, (laughs) is even close to that number that Quinn Hughes is at. And it's not to say that Quinn Hughes is a terrible player. I just, I don't think he is a solution for the penalty kill. And if anything, it puts a magnifying glass on the team not finding a left shot defenseman that could help them in penalty kill situations this offseason. And you still have to use Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson in those spots. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's meaningless because I think Quinn has struggled in his own end. And we were talking about this uh, on the show last night, yesterday, too, and how he's been good offensively, but defensively he's had his struggles. And, and people texted in and said, hey, well, him and Shen have been good. Maybe we're underrating uh, Hughes' defensive play. And then you kind of watch last night and how he got running around a couple times and, and how he got up, out-muscled. 
he's not an ideal penalty killer, and I, and I think that considering how much this team has struggled, they have to try different things, and why not try it out and see if he's able to do it? But I think it's it's very clear the defensive side of the game this year for Quinn hasn't been good enough. Uh, so that is a super stat or a meaningless number, uh, something we will bring back occasionally here on Canucks Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Did you hear BC's best hockey store, the Hockey Shop, has moved to Langley, where you'll find bigger departments and better parking. That's very important. Centrally located just off Highway 1 near the Langley Events Center, the Hockey Shop. You are listening to Canuck Central.